We are indeed pilgrims on a journey. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. If you're a, a person of a certain age, um, you, you, you may remember learning that little ditty in, in elementary school. We learned how the Americas were found by Columbus during his search for a new trade route to India. Well, he didn't find India, but he did stumble upon the new world. And yes, that is how Native Americans, First Nations, Incas, and Mayans all became known as Indians. True story. It's said that Columbus wrote in his journal, the native people are strong, well-built, and extremely generous. I believe that with 50 men and our weapons, we could subdue the entire population. Hmm. He was already thinking about conquering the land in the name of Spain. Now, in 1493, Pope Alexander VI signed a, a papal bill, a papal bull, which simply is a decree that the Vatican issues, which granted unlimited rights to Spain to claim all of the New World for itself. Well, Portugal didn't particularly care for that. So in 19, I'm sorry, 1494, a treaty was signed between Spain and Portugal that divided the New World. Everything that was 370 leagues west of the Cape Verde Islands went to Spain. Everything on the east went to Portugal. In granting the papal bull and the treaty, Pope Alexander bestowed Christian dominion over all of the New World. He granted Spain and Portugal ownership of all the lands and its peoples as well. That sounds pretty good, right? <laughs> it wasn't so bad if you were European. <laughs> but if you were African or any country in what we now call North, Central, or South America, or even if you were an indigenous Australian, it wasn't such a good treaty for you. I, I share this because it was the beginning of the mindset that would allow good Christian folk to traffic in and enslave peoples from the continent of Africa. It also allowed those same good Christian folk to launch a full-scale annihilation of the peoples in the lands that we now call America. Because it was okay, because an agent of God said it was okay. You know, that's what you call power. With the stroke of a pen, someone can become a thing. With the stroke of a pen, you can remove somebody's land. When a stroke of the pen, you can take away somebody's freedom. And whether we like it or not, it's the story of the U.S. 
And it's the definitive narrative that the majority of us grew up with and claim as our story. This land is your land, this land is my land, from California to the New York Island. I bring this up to you today because for us, it's a story that we were taught, but it's a story that begins with secondly. Shamanda Adeshe, a Nigerian author, has a few words that I'd like to share with you today on what it means to start a story with secondly. So I visited Mexico from the US. The political climate in the US at the time was tense and there were debates going on about immigration. And as often happens in America, immigration became synonymous with Mexicans. There were endless stories of Mexicans as people who were fleecing the healthcare system, sneaking across the border, being arrested at the border, that sort of thing. I remember walking around on my first day in Guadalajara, watching the people going to work, rolling up to tears in the marketplace, smoking, laughing. I remember first feeling slight surprise, and then I was overwhelmed with shame. I realized that I had been so immersed in the media coverage of Mexicans that they had become one thing in my mind, the abject immigrant. I had bought into the single story of Mexicans and I could not have been more ashamed of myself. So that is how to create a single story, show a people as one thing, as only one thing, over and over again, and that is what they become. It is impossible to talk about the single story without talking about power. There is a word, an Igbo word, that I think about whenever I think about the power structures of the world, and it is nkale. It's a noun that loosely translates to, to be greater than another. Like our economic and political worlds, stories too are defined by the principle of nkale. How they are told, who tells them, when they are told, how many stories are told, are really dependent on power. Power is the ability not just to tell the story of another person, but to make it the definitive story of that person. The Palestinian poet Murid Baghouti writes that if you want to dispossess a people, the simplest way to do it is to tell their story and to start with secondly. Start the story with the arrows of the Native Americans and not with the arrival of the British, and you have an entirely different story. Start the story with the failure of the African state, and not with the colonial creation of the African state, and you have an entirely different story. Power is the ability not just to tell the story of another person, but to make it the definitive story of that person or peoples. If you want to dispossess a people, the simplest way to do it is to tell their story and to start it with secondly. When we chose the Old Testament or, or the Hebrew scriptures to focus on during this sermon series on border crossings, actually, I was thrilled. Most people don't like preaching from the Old Testament, but I personally love it. 
Well, it could be because the church that I grew up in linked their story with our story. They ran parallel in so many ways. They were forced into circumstances beyond their control to go into a land that was not theirs and they were enslaved. They did not go into the country as slaves, but once they were brought there, they were enslaved. You see, words have power. So I want to be clear that when Africans came here, they didn't come as slaves. They came as Africans who were enslaved. Words have power. And we both pleaded to the God of our understanding to free us from bondage. We were both foreigners in a foreign land. They in Egypt and we in all of the area of the Americas. So as we join today's reading, the Hebrews had been set free from being enslaved in Egypt. And they were on the cusp of entering the land that God had promised them. Moses is instructing them to be mindful about remembering. Remembering to worship and honor the God who had set them free. And Moses instructs them in their obligation to invite those who have no land of their own. The priest, the widows, the orphans, and the immigrant to invite them into their celebration of freedom, into their celebration of wealth, into their celebration of the pursuit of happiness. I believe it's because God wanted them to remember what it was like when they had no land, when they had no possessions, when they had been enslaved, when they had been treated badly, when they were the immigrants. so that they wouldn't do to others what had been done to them. On on August 28, 1963, Dr. King and a million others marched into our capital in Washington, D.C. for the civil and economic rights of all humanity. Dr. King's speech is built in part around the theme of coming to our nation's capital to cash a check, which he explains consists of a promise that all humanity should be guaranteed the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He said it was a check that would give all humanity upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. Sadly, 50 plus years later, that check is still stamped insufficient funds. I believe that that's the takeaway for today. How do we right the wrongs of our history, especially those perpetrated by the church? 
We're being asked, how are we living into what God requires of us? When it comes to those who don't have. How are we as a people of faith who claim Jacob as our faith ancestor treating the immigrants among us? Those from Laos, Syria, India, Nigeria, Haiti, the Philippines, Brazil, Cuba, or Mexico. It said that when First Lady Pat Nixon traveled to the U.S.-Mexico border back in 1971 to inaugurate what is now called Friendship Park, which is just south of San Diego, she observed the then thin line of barbed wire that separated Mexico from the United States. It is reported that she said, I hate to see offense anywhere. The implication, people thought, was that we would never build a border. We would never build a wall. But we have. We've built two. Today, a pair of massive metal walls, both constructed by the US government, each roughly 18 feet high, separate most of friendship Park from Mexico. It currently extends east as far as the eye can see, and to the west it goes down into the Pacific Ocean. There are weathered-looking series of iron pylons that stretch out into the Pacific Ocean, separating Tijuana and San Diego. On Saturdays and Sundays from 10 till 2, however, a small crowd comes to the American side of the fence. That's when the U.S. Border Patrol will open the fence and allow people to talk to each other. This makes Friendship Park one of the only places in the world in which people from the United States and people from Mexico can physically talk to each other without the use of electronics and without the fear of deportation. On Sundays, the border church convenes. There are two pastors who stand in two different countries and conduct a worship service in both English and Spanish. The pair takes turns translating for each other. They sing hymns. They hold communion. And about halfway through the service, the pastors instruct the attendees to place their hands against the metal fence and face someone on the other side and to pray with them and to pray for them. We can do better than this. We invite our siblings from the South to harvest our lettuce, to pick our citrus, to pick our grapes, yet they have no vehicle 
in which they can be granted citizenship. Their children who are born here while they work know for certainty that their parents can be deported at a moment's notice. It reminds me so much of slavery. How long will we continue to let their stories begin? But secondly, what does our God require from us? Noah's song tells us, find a gem of love. Love our neighbors. Love embodied by seeking justice and practicing mercy. I leave you with this question today. It's a question that Dr. King asked before he was assassinated. And it is simply this. As a people of faith, where do we go from here?